Picture this scenario. You're a woman in your early 60s and you were born in Italy, but you came to Australia after emigrating many years ago as a teenage girl. You live with your husband and you work in the family business when you're not helping with your children's young family. After all, your life is your family and it's always been that way. You've put your family first because it's what you've always known. Your family speaks Italian at home and you find it easier to understand English when people talk to you rather than when you have to read it. You're pretty healthy. No cold or flu is going to stop you from living your active life. You don't often bother going to the GP because you only get aches and pains anyway and that's just from getting older and healthcare is too expensive these days anyway. You've been for a breast screen once before, but it didn't pick up anything and you don't even see the point of going anymore because you're getting older. You think they're uncomfortable and they're embarrassing and they probably don't work for finding cancer anyway. And you haven't got time and there are plenty of other important things to do. It's scenarios like this one that really show how we need to improve our health messaging. Alphitrocine in Australia is a bit of a problem, and it's actually a bit worse in rural areas where people have less chance of exposure to good health care or any health care, really, in part the way in which the, the biomedical system says the patient should do better. But no, we should do better as a system, as healthcare professionals, and how we present information and have realistic expectations of people. That's Richard Osborne from Deakin University. He's the chair of public health, Professor of Public Health and the Director of the World Health Organization Collaboration Centre for Health Literacy. He's going to explain for us a little bit more about what health literacy is. But health literacy, it's a tricky concept too. It's about people's ability to understand and think about and use health information to look after themselves and their health. When I was working at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, University of Melbourne, we did some work in the emergency department and people would turn up with no idea why they're there. Suddenly, they have to go to hospital and suddenly they talk to a lot of different people and suddenly they've got a bag of pills. Suddenly, they're told a thousand different things that they've never really thought about before. And they have no idea, but these people are suddenly taken off to the hospital, just trying to get along in life, trying to get the kids off to school, trying to keep a job and keep a roof over their head. And suddenly, they're in hospital. They then have an immense amount of health information in front of them but often no context or way to really understand what that means or to apply that in their lives. So many people don't have a good background or much experience with health or haven't had the opportunity for a lot of education, either because of what school was like in their day or because of coming from another country. They didn't have the opportunity of education like a lot of people in Australia. And suddenly they're in a healthcare setting trying to get by and they've got a health crisis, whether it's a heart problem or a cancer problem or something they just don't understand. And so the information that can come to people is about, well, what's wrong with them? What do they need to do tomorrow? What do they need to do today? What is this pill for? Requires a lot of trust in our health professionals, doesn't it? Because they're relying on these experts for information. Well, I'm getting all tingly here. Trust is such an incredibly important idea for people. If you can't trust the system around you, everything is dark, everything is grey, everything is so scary. In many ways, we're forced to trust our healthcare professionals. And luckily in Australia, we do have absolutely one of the best healthcare systems in the world. We're just so lucky for that. But if our system is so good, then why are people so scared to take advantage of it? And that is another big problem with health literacy, that people 
will ignore and ignore and ignore symptoms or issues in their life to look after their family or get away in life or to avoid fears they might have about cancer or heart disease or other issues. And they would just get on with life and avoid going to the doctor. And so health just is also about, well, what might be going on for myself? Is this something preventable? Is this something curable? Is this something I can deal with simply now and it won't bother me in my life in the future? Let's put this into the context of Breast Cream Victoria, because we ask women, women like the one I mentioned at the start of this podcast, to think about their health, which is exactly what Richard is saying. It's quite difficult to get people to think about preventative health measures when they don't want to think about it right now. So I spoke with Annie Cooper from Breast Screen Victoria, who explains a little more about how we invite women to come in for a screen. So when a woman turns 50, we send her an invitation letter from Breast Screen Victoria. Hey, happy birthday. Come and have a breast screen. And it's recommended you do so every two years from age 50 to 74. So we'll send her that initial letter and a reminder letter every two years. But the catch is we get our data from the electoral roll. So women need to be enrolled to vote in order for us to be able to have their information to be able to send a letter. And as we know, uh, many women aren't enrolled to vote, particularly women who don't read or or speak English and women from other underscreened groups too, for example, women with disabilities. So we need to come up with different and novel approaches to reaching these women that go beyond sending them a letter. So how do we go about fixing this type of scenario? So many people are missing out on opportunities for good health education, good opportunities to just learn and and to feel safe in the healthcare system. So we began to think more and more about education, health education, and also think about this term health literacy, which is a relatively new term 10 and 15 years ago when we started this research. This ability to understand, access, engage in health services, and also remember. So what we began to think is that if we could understand health literacy, then we could perhaps build better interventions. If we could understand people's different strengths and weaknesses on a daily basis, perhaps we could build a better intervention. So we wanted to really develop a research program which was deeply understanding everyone in the community. So we developed a way of measuring health literacy. We developed research which really sought to engage people who are usually left behind, disenfranchised, people who usually don't take part in research. We had to work pretty hard with ethics committees at times so that we really allowed people to take part who were perhaps vulnerable, scared, not wanting to take part in anything, let alone research or healthcare. And they're their target population. If we can make our research suitable for anyone in the community, then the interventions that we develop around that are likely to be more suitable for more people, leaving no one behind. So where we went with developing interventions, let's just work out people's health literacy, which is Everything, as you said before, about people's relationships and trust with doctors. Health literacy is also about what you already know and whether you understand information well enough to know what to do, whether you can find information. So we developed a way of measuring this from the person's perspective. We didn't use academic papers to discover what health literacy was. We went and talked to ordinary people, lots and lots of them. We really got their their gut feeling, their lived experience about you know, what is it like and what do you have to do to be able to understand and engage with health information? And this is why Richard and his team developed the Ophelia Project. Ophelia stands for Optimising Health Literacy and Access. Ancient Greek, it means help. That was by accident. We found that out later. 
Prophelia stands for this whole way in which we want to work with community, that we have a person-centered approach, and that we draw on local wisdom to develop local interventions that are relevant. So Ophelia started with a great partnership between Deakin University, Monash University, the Victorian Department of Health and Human Services, and nine healthcare organizations around Victoria. And together we built this model. It was a bit like, hmm, a bit scary, a bit like building the aeroplane while you're learning to fly it. When a community comes up with an idea, not just men and women who are dealing with health problems, it's also our best frontline practitioners. It's also our, our managers and policymakers. So we actually engage everyone in the system to come up with the solutions based on real information that comes from the hearts of minds of people in the community. We've heard a really nice overview of the project, but can you tell us about how we've implemented this at Breast Green? So the Ophelia project was a really great collaboration with us, Deakin University and the Department of Health and Human Services, and allowed us to have some really great insight into how we can address the barriers that Arabic, Italian and Aboriginal women face with regards to breast screening. Our participation data shows that those three groups of women are underscreened. And so that means that they're not screening at the same rate as the general population. So we did quite a bit of consultation with them and five key barriers really came out. And when I say barriers, I mean they're things that make it more difficult for women to screen. So the first one was lack of knowledge. And this really came out in terms of not knowing about the screening program and that it exists or not knowing why it's important to have a screen and what the benefits of the program are. Fear was another key barrier that came out for the women. So women were often afraid of not knowing what to expect when they go for a screen, um, having to take their top off in front of a stranger. And of course, that fear of, you know, oh, what if I'm diagnosed with breast cancer, which we know the majority of women aren't. Lots of women told us that they have a lot of other competing priorities. Women uh, tend to be the caretakers in community. They're taking care of ageing um, parents or grandchildren and will often put off their breast screen because it's just not a f- priority for them at that time. And another key barrier is really relating to logistics. So we know that um, for some women, they're really sold on the benefits of breast screening, but perhaps they don't know where the local clinic is they um, don't have access to a car or they're not able to drive or even, you know, not being able to afford to get on a bus to take public transport. So last year in 2017, we were able to run some really exciting trials to try and break down the barriers that I spoke about that are addressed by the women in order to address the language barrier. And we know that a lot of women um, in the Italian and Arabic communities aren't able to speak or read English. We decided to make some phone calls to women who were well and truly overdue for their breast screen. And we made those phone calls in language. So we actually hired a couple of bilingual um, contact centre operators and we actually phoned the women in their language to say, hey, you know, you're overdue for your breast screen. Can I invite you to book an appointment with me on the phone today? Gina Asdaji is one of our bilingual contact centre operators. She's worked at Breast Screen Victoria for many years and has started calling these women in Italian as part of the Ophelia project. Gina, were the women happy to hear from you? Yes, yes. Um, a lot of the ladies uh, were quite surprised, you know, when I was able to uh, introduce myself and speak in Italian. They felt quite at home and we'd be quite happy to make the booking. And uh, we actually did get through quite a few and made a lot of bookings. So that was a wonderful feeling for me to know 
that in speaking to these women, I was able to help them make the booking and that, and they weren't just sitting with the letter just you know, on the side or waiting for the daughter or son to come and do it for them. We'll be able to get onto it straight away there and then and they would book it. And were you able to ease some of those concerns that we talked about before? Were you able to raise perhaps the fear? Yes, logistics, yes. Because yeah, a lot of them would say, oh, do I have to have it? I'm now this age or that age. And I would talk them through it. And then once they would see what I told them that, yeah, and it's still necessary and it's best to have it done. And then for two years, they know that they've had the screening and wait for the next one to come along. They would be at ease and they go, oh yes, all right, then I'll do it, you know, and they would understand it. At first they just thought it was not necessary to even book it, you know. How successful were the in-language calls? So these were really, really successful. So we were absolutely thrilled with the results. What we found was that for the women we called in language, they were 10 times more likely to actually book an appointment than the women who didn't receive a phone call. And the women, once we followed them through, we found that they actually attended their appointments, which is really the key there. We were a little bit concerned that they'd feel obligated to book an appointment. They were getting a phone call in their own language. It's a wonderful personal touch. It's hard to say no to Gina. She's so (laughs) lovely. Absolutely. Um, But what we found was the women were actually attending, which is really exciting. So we're absolutely taking this intervention forward and continuing it this year by making more outbound phone calls in language. So we trialled another really exciting intervention last year where we developed a three-month pharmacy-based campaign to try and reach women through their pharmacists. So we know that a recommendation from a health professional is a really effective way to get a woman through the door. Um, They take health professional advice seriously. And while a woman doesn't need an official health professional referral to come to our program, a recommendation from a doctor or another health professional is really effective. So women told us that their pharmacies and their pharmacists are a really trusted source of information. And so we decided to use that approach to reaching them. And was this a successful intervention? Absolutely. So we based our model on an existing UK model that was trialled and evaluated in 2015 and shown to be a real success. So we were able to use the lessons from that campaign to model ours. So we developed the three-month campaign. It was run in four different pharmacies in northwest Melbourne, where we know there's a high population of Arabic and Italian women. We provided the pharmacies with lots of different promotional materials and education resources for women in those languages. And we also trained the pharmacy staff to proactively approach women and ask have you heard about Breast Screen Victoria's free screening program and actually educate the women? What do you think, Gina? Would your friends be likely to take advice from the pharmacist? Yes, because uh, I look even myself, when you go there to get your just general medication and usually when you're putting your prescription in, they'll ask, is there anything else that we can help you with? And if they were to sort of suggest something like that while you're there, you can take that in and take it forward. If you don't understand, you take it home to your family and, and discuss it with them. But at least you're getting that first contact and face-to-face. You know, I think when you're talking to someone or face-to-face, rather than getting a letter, we know what happens with letters a lot of times. You know, you just look at it and think, oh, it's too hard, I'll have to ask the family. But if you're getting spoken to, I think it just makes you feel to do something about it. One of the 
other interventions that we developed and designed last year and that we're actually trialling this year targets Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women. So when we spoke to Aboriginal women last year, they said, look, we really don't feel comfortable taking our top off in front of a stranger, particularly, you know, women in that age group and Aboriginal elders. They felt that they would feel more comfortable if they were covered up. And so they suggested being able to wear something during their screen and simply exposing, you know, the breast that was currently being screened but still having some coverage around the back and the sides. And when we looked overseas, we found that, in fact, in New Zealand they're doing this. They're giving Indigenous women a shawl that they can wear during the breast screen in order to feel more comfortable and culturally safe. So we're collaborating with the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service and the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation. So it is really important that it's a community-led and driven project to make sure that we're meeting the needs of women in the community. So a, a lovely shawl was developed in collaboration with the community with a beautiful design um, by Auntie Lynn Briggs. And we'll be inviting a select number of women in metropolitan Melbourne to come and trial that shawl. So come and have a yarn with us about breast screening. Then we'll all go to a local clinic together where they'll each be able to go into a private room with a female radiographer, wear the shawl, have a screen, and then we'll come out and have a conversation about how they found that whether it made them feel more comfortable and more likely to have a screen in future. So one of the foundation principles of Ophelia is about asking the community to find these solutions. Are there any examples where perhaps the community has suggested something that wasn't quite right or wasn't the right result? Absolutely. So when we spoke to Italian and Arabic women about their breast screening needs, many said they weren't able to speak or read English. So in addition to making outbound phone calls to them in language, they suggested actually sending the reminder letters in their language, so in Italian or Arabic. And so that's something we trialled last year. In addition to making the phone calls, we actually did another randomised control trial where we sent Italian and Arabic women their reminder letters in language. And how successful was that? Well, that was quite interesting because there was a slight increase in the number of bookings made in the women who received an in-language letter. But what Deacon found when they did their in-depth analysis of the data was that that difference wasn't statistically significant. So overall, we concluded that sending the reminder letters in language to women didn't result in an increase in booking rates. Any ideas, Gina, on why that might have been? I still think that, you know, these women are so busy with their life as in cooking, cleaning and looking after the family, household and children that when this letter comes, even though they read it's, you know, to do with a mammogram and even though it's in their language, it's still a letter and they just put it aside. And I think when we do ring them, we get in them on the spot and, and they're able to speak and they're able to say what they feel and what they want to do. And then we're able to work them into making an appointment. And, and as you know, with the statistics, they have followed through and gone. I think there's just that contact. That it's better than just reading it. And also a lot of them, even though it's in their language, a lot of them can't read the Italian. They speak in their own dialects and stuff like that. So they might pick up a bit of it, but it's all too hard, even in Italian. And if they were to ask their kids, a lot of them don't speak 
read the Italian message, can't read it. And so it just gets left aside. What are the next steps for Ophelia? So we'll continue to run the interventions that were shown to be successful. So we're now rolling the pharmacy campaign out across select parts of Melbourne and Victoria where we want to target particular populations if we know that perhaps there's a certain pocket that isn't screening at a rate we'd like. Uh, We continue to target women from different cultural backgrounds through pharmacies through providing educational materials and posters in the pharmacy that are in language. And we will continue to make those outbound phone calls to Greek, Italian and Chinese women because they are still screening at a slightly lower rate than we would like and we really want to see more women from those groups coming through the door. We've been really pleased to implement the Ophelia project within Breast Green Victoria and we hope to see more of these style of projects in the future. I'd like to thank Professor Richard Osborne, the Chair of Public Health from Deakin University, Annie Cooper and Gina Azdaji from Breast Green Victoria for coming in and talking to us about the project. If you're a woman aged between 50 and 74 and you haven't had a breast screen in the last two years, maybe it's time to book that appointment. It takes 10 minutes, it's with a woman, you don't need a doctor's referral and it's free. Call us on 13 20 50 or visit our website, breastscreen.org.au. I'm Natalie Pearson. Thanks for listening.